Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Peter, you just came back from Super Zoo, didn't you? Yes, Super Zoo is... What is Super Zoo? Wow. Huge trade show for the pet industry. And it was in Vegas. And I've never been there before. And it was really an interesting experience. Tell us, what was your first impression? First this impression. Is first, this is the first time you went to Super Zoo, right? Yeah. Yeah, first time. We've been to other animal shows, nothing like this. So this is really a trade show. So Super Zoo has been happening in one form or another since 1950 for the pet industry. And it's traveled around a little bit and then was in Anaheim for a while and then ultimately settled in Vegas. And it's growing and growing. Last year they had about 11,000 attendees. So it's a pretty big show. It is at Mandalay Bay Convention Center, which itself is huge. I never was there before, only in the in the hotel. And it was uh, it's a it's a business trade show. So my first impression is this is a trade show designed for people in the industry, so that uh, distributors and manufacturers can show their pet related products to retail buyers. And so there's business to be done. And you flew to Vegas, right? Oh, yes. I flew to Vegas. I don't know why. Maybe the last time I fly to Vegas. But I flew from LAX to McCarran to Vegas because I was in Los Angeles at the beginning of this uh, little excursion. And do you want to hear about my impressions of that? (laughs) About LAX? Oh, my God. What a rat hole that place is. Every time I I go in and out of LAX, I say never again. And I don't know if I forget or if there are no other good options, but that is just the most unpleasant airport around. It has to be one of the worst airports in the country. It it must be. And it is noisy and haphazard and loud, and there's no personal space, and it's sort of dirty and dingy and dark, and the lighting is it's just, I can't think of anything good, except for if I were able to gain access to one of the private clubs, that might make things a little better, but that wasn't happening. And then you get into Las Vegas, and you're in a civilized airport, and it's just people are nice, and you've got space, and the restaurants all seem a little more cheery, and everything's so so friendly. And I'm like, this is great. This is how airports should be. So, okay. So, uh, back to Super Zoo. How much time did you spend there? Oh, you know, I wish I had more, but there was other business I had to attend to in Vegas. So I had one full day to kill Super Zoo, and it was just not enough, and I really wore myself out. And are you going to tell us some of the products you liked? Well, yes, I'm going to tell you about some of the products I liked and maybe some that I, well, maybe some that I like, but not now. I'm going to gather up my notes and I'm going to continue my correspondences with some of the manufacturers and distributors who had interesting novel or uh, popular things and uh, we'll be presenting them in upcoming show or shows. So you're walking around Super Zoo. Did people know who the famous Dr. Spiegel is or the wonderful Animals Today show, which has been in production and broadcasting for nine years? Nine years. Okay. That's a good question. And uh, I'll tell you, walking around, well, first of all, the layout of this convention, you're in a, in a huge hall and there's one section that's devoted to pet grooming 
and all the equipment related to grooming. So the handheld equipment and the machines and the dryers and all that, I just did not enter that at all. It's not an interest of mine. I respect groomers and I have nothing against the industry. I just didn't have time or it's not our thing. But a big part of the convention has to do with grooming and classes about grooming and there are contests. There are grooming contests, so that's part of it, which we're not going to go into. Uh, then there's another section that has to do with small animals, reptiles, and aquatics and fish. And those are not of interest to me either. I'm really not, and you're not either, an advocate of having fish as pets or reptiles. Any exotic animals. Yeah. So that's not our thing, but it's there. So there are live animals and there are fish tanks set up and all the equipment not, not of interest. So I'm walking around. So here's my plan. I have to tell you my, my game plan. One full day. I get there before it starts. It's, op- it's open from 9 to 5. And I'll get back to the end of this later. I got there about 8.30. And uh, I've got my press credentials. Oh, breeze on through. No problem. I was pre-registered. Got my badge on. And st- my plan is to just go up and down, up and down every aisle. And there are scores of them uh, and sort of do a little, take a little note and see who I want to come back to later and maybe chat with. And that was very ambitious. I thought it would take me one or one and a half hours. Remember planning this out? Sure do. And and by lunchtime, I was almost done. Oh my. And I knew I was going to have to change my sort of plan a little bit. And as I was finishing the morning, I started chatting with more and more people realizing maybe I'm never going to get back and I didn't want to make promises I couldn't keep. So who recognized me? So it's very interesting. Um, There are not many people with press credentials that I saw. You could tell who's who by their badges. There are distributors, there are retailers, there's like a small press cadre. But the people with their booths, and their booths come in all sizes, a little desk with two chairs to a huge section that's basically a party, you know, with uh, RV vans or whole habitats that they create. Anyway, the savvy people manning the booths recognize who I am and they step up and they say, hey, how are you? Let me show you what's new. In 30 seconds, this is great. You're going to love this. And they really see that this brief encounter is maybe a little PR opportunity that they don't want to pass. They're not sitting back in their chairs, eating their lunch or whatever. They jump up there and say, let me show you this. This is cool. So you interpret that as a savvy and smart type of plan versus a come grab you sales, car salesman type of plan. Yeah. Yeah. These are, that's what you're supposed to do there. You're supposed to be be out there and be a little aggressive. It's okay. Okay. So that was interesting. And that afforded me the opportunity to see some things that maybe I would not have otherwise. Well, if you remember, Peter, perhaps maybe two, three weeks prior to SuperZoo, all the way actually up until SuperZoo, once the vendors or distributors realized we were on the list as coming, i.e. the press is coming, we received dozens of emails, didn't we? Right. A lot of uh, requests to have one-on-one meetings. Oh, meet with me for 45 minutes so I can show you my, my products. It's it's a little wishful thinking there. So let me take you out to lunch. <laughs> yeah, so that's really really hard. Uh, but I, who can blame them? You know. Anyway, the floor is huge. I must have walked six or seven miles uh, during the day. Wow. And and just a little commentary about the uh, logistics of this. 
the convention center had almost no place to sit down. So your intrepid middle-aged reporter walking and walking needs to park himself once in a while and stay hydrated and put the feet up a little bit. There's hardly, they've got these little, little tables scattered here and there. And then there is one section, which is all the way on one side where you can sort of sit down and lounge a little bit. But really I was on, on my feet almost the entire day. And I did find that staying hydrated was very important. I had my water bottle with me and ate light. And tell us where you stayed when you were up there. I didn't stay at the Mandalay. I stayed at Encore, which is uh, the Wynn property. We've stayed there before. Pretty fancy, but we got a really good rate. Thank you very much, by the way. And I find I like staying there because they acknowledge that there are people who like to eat eat vegan there and the restaurants have vegan and room service has vegan it's just very sort of user friendly if you don't want to go out and about looking for food they have in the restaurants they have vegan menus yeah, right very, and the, the win is um connected to the encore correct con- connected through a bunch of very expensive shopping areas yeah but it, it is it is a very nice uh property let me say that so you took uh, Uber to the convention? You know, I used Uber. I like Uber. Uh, one of my shuttles back and forth was with the conventional taxi. That was just fine. But calling Uber and watching them drive up and knowing the name of your guy and he comes out and or your, your driver is, is just the neatest thing. I just love that. It's easy as can be. I mean, it just removes so much of the uncertainty and the annoying things about getting yourself from one place to another, it's just great. Remember years ago, you, all you'd see is taxis lined up at the front of the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Now, I knew there were taxis somewhere in the Encore. I think they keep them hidden from view. And if you want a taxi, you you just tell the gentleman up front and he does something and it appears out of a, a little hole in the wall. <laughs> so they're there somewhere. They just hide them. So I really love the transportation around Vegas, but I have to say the thing that I just will never get used to is the smoke everywhere. Oh, I know. And even in a place like Encore, where I'm sure they are really trying hard to keep the air clear, it is just too much for me. So I'm trying at the end of a long day to find a little quiet spot where I can get a beer and relax a little bit and watch the baseball game and trying to escape from the smoke. It's just not possible. You just have to say, okay, I got to deal with it. Or otherwise I'm just going to be stuck in my room. And it always is a negative thing about Vegas, isn't it? So anyway, so Lori, after the break, I've got more of my impressions of my first ever super zoo. It probably won't be my last unless they don't want to give me credentials again. We'll see how that goes. And uh, like I said, in upcoming shows, we're going to talk about some of the specific products where you're going to try some of them out when they arrive in the mail, because many of the vendors and manufacturers want to give us an opportunity to review them and we'll do our best, right? Perfect. Okay. So stick around. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild, to animals on farms and in agriculture, to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. 
If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love animals today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. We are talking about Peter's visit to SuperZoo in Vegas. That's right. 2017 SuperZoo, my first visit covering the show. And let me continue with how I spent my one day. Like I said, I only had one day. I needed at least two. And it would have been much more fun if Lori could have attended with me. But, I know. I'm sorry. Okay. But next time, because I, I need someone to hold my business cards. <laughs> okay. So my plan, which I mentioned earlier, our plan that we developed was to sort of scope out in the morning, maybe the first half of the morning, who we wanted to visit and chat with next and then come back. And I was going to go out and back. Well, my out took twice as long as I thought it would. And so after getting a light lunch and resting my weary legs a a little bit, I started coming back. And it was actually faster coming back because I had about 30 booths, 30 places on my list that I wanted to visit. And some of them I decided, oh, no, this is really not someone I want to devote any time to. So I was able to hit most of those people. And it's interesting. You go back, you know, you introduce yourself. Like I said before, some of them recognize who you are. Some you have to draw out a little bit. Some are really out there and quite uh, savvy and sophisticated about the value of maybe getting some free coverage. And I was pretty much able to make it all the way back by about 4, 4.15. And it uh, closes at 5. But one thing I did not anticipate, and I should have, because I've been to lots of other conferences before, is that by the time about 3, 3.15 comes around, the quality, the atmosphere changes, and it evolves into like happy hour. And people start loosening up, the beer kegs start coming out, the snacks are put out. So the bigger companies that have got big displays, they've got the beer and the wine, and everyone's just sort of said, okay, it's happy hour, it's three o'clock. And so your opportunity to really conduct serious interview sort of sort of fizzles. So next time we can't plan on going all the way to five. You know, by three o'clock you gotta handle everything and then just join the crowd. Was the conference room organized into categories so you have all these pet toys and pet beds and treats and foods and okay so there was somewhat organized and according to the schedule and the layout there are there are definite sections but i will tell you, you mentioned pet beds and i'll talk more about pet beds in a future show perhaps but that's a pretty big segment apparently peter were there any nonprofit or animal advocate groups there Oh, that's a good question, too. I was able to identify, and there may be more, uh, three, uh, three of them. And um, one of them was interesting. They were like a cat rescue. 
And I did connect with the representative who actually created a special little cat habitat and is now selling them. And it supports their nonprofit. So we're going to get a chance to talk about him more, but really not much as far as nonprofit goes. This is really, like I said, it's mostly commerce. Now, we've been to a few pet shows in the past, and I remember what bothered me a little bit is some of these shows had dog and cat breeders there. Were there any breeders yeah, there? I didn't see any any breeding. Oh, good. I, I didn't look, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't see anything like that. Now, Peter, how does Super Zoo compare to the Orange County Pet Expo that you and I attended maybe six years ago? Yeah. So this is a trade show, and so it's really not open to the public. In the Orange County show, it's really designed for families to come look around. And, and uh, so a completely different, different flavor. And you and I have been to many, many medical conferences over the years. Talking about pet products had to be at least a million times more interesting than being surrounded by a lot of medical people talking about the latest advances in medicine, right? Oh, I... I don't want to say that. Okay. It's its own thing, okay? <laughs> oh, this had to be more fun. Well, let me think about it. Okay. Okay. What surprised you the most? Oh, surprise. Uh, let's see. I would have to say, well, there were many little surprises, but I would say I was just overwhelmed or impressed with the number of manufacturers of treats and jerkies and little little dog and cat treats. There are so many small bakeries selling their own little brands in small batches designed for small retail shops, I guess. I don't understand why they enter the business. There are just scores and scores of them, and I, I don't know how they stay in business, tell you the truth, but I guess they do. Did you see anyone you knew? You know, Lori, no personal acquaintances, although there was... One animal celebrity, the guy with the funny name, he was there, but otherwise really didn't meet anyone uh, personally. I made some new friends, some really nice people, I have to say. So if I go back next year, we'll be able to have a beer with them at 301 in the hall, you know. <laughs> uh, there was an interesting thing they have, which is the new products area. And I didn't really understand this until I was in it. But there is, it's like cordoned off, and you go through a little entrance, and you go up and down small aisles, and on tabletops are new products displayed. And they go by category. There's your aquatics, there's your small animal, there's your cat, there's your dog, and whatever. And uh, it gives the opportunity for the for the people who've got their booths to show their new stuff. Now, you're not allowed to take photos, and they've got this carefully monitored. And I accidentally took a photo, but I erased it. Anyway, then I realized what, what I was. This is a new product display. And it's a little much to take in. It gives a chance for people. You can vote on what you think the best products are, and I guess that's how they become new product of the show or something along those lines. I wish I had more time, but... I found it a little tedious to try to cover on the one quick day to go up and down and to see what I liked as far as the new products go. But I can understand why they want to have a showcase uh, for these new products. And I just want to recount one interesting discussion I had with one booth, okay? And uh, maybe I'll be able to research this a little bit more, but this was a plastic bag manufacturer from China. And he was there to make retail contacts. And he and his, I think, family members were describing how they make their biodegradable plastic bags. 
and um, there was a little diagram showing how there's no petroleum involved and they use plants to make these things. And I took the opportunity to explain to him how many cities in the states, including our home city of Palm Springs, are banning the use of disposable plastic bags like we used to get in the supermarket. We used to use these as our poop bags, but now we've got to buy these disposable bags. And I told him I thought this trend was going to be increasing around the country, and that made him very happy. So I get the feeling that all these Branded bags are coming from his factory or a couple in China. Wow. And, and they're all the same specs, and you can just put your logo on it and put it in whatever little egg you want or cardboard box, and then you've got your own little... But I really think they're coming out of one or a handful of places. Can so our country make them ourselves? Yeah, we could. we could make them probably a lot cheaper in China. Shouldn't our country make them ourselves? Let's not go there. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks, Peter, for sharing your experiences at SuperZoo with us. And I'm very anxious to receive and have our companion animals try out the products that are going to come our way. Yeah, me too. It should be interesting. And in upcoming shows, like I said, we're going to talk about them. Great. Stick around. More with Animals Today right after the break. It's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and here's your Animals Today fun fact for today. Do you ever wonder why your cat bumps their head against you? Well, that unexpected butting of her head is known as head bunting, and this is your kitty's way of bonding with you. She is identifying you as one of her friends, and head bunting is her way of sharing her love and affection. And this is your Animals Today fun fact for today. back to animals today. There's this phrase you sometimes hear, doggy dementia, which is an everyday term for cognitive dysfunction syndrome in dogs. But what does it really mean? And how is dementia in dogs diagnosed? And can it be prevented or treated? To find out more about dementia in dogs, I'm very pleased to welcome board-certified neurologist Stephen Hansen, who runs the Veterinary Neurology Center in Palm Desert, California. Welcome to the program, Dr. Hansen. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Stephen, doggy dementia, this is a real entity, different from just a dog getting older, correct? Right. It's not, um, it's not really a normal aging change. It's more consistent with, like, Alzheimer's and people. There are a lot of similarities between the two conditions. And how common is it? Well, some estimates say about 50% of dogs over the year, uh, over the age of 11, can show some signs of cognitive dysfunction syndrome. And then once a dog reaches 15 to 16 years old, the percentage of incidence goes up to about 68%. So a fair, fair number of dogs that get to that age will show some symptoms of cognitive dysfunction. And what are the symptoms? And especially, what are the early symptoms we can look out for? Yeah, the early symptoms can be kind of hard to detect because, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell if a dog is really disoriented or not. Definitely when it becomes more advanced, you'll see things like a dog getting lost in the house or not recognizing people they normally would recognize. Um, Oftentimes, they also have 
disruption of their sleep-wake cycle. So they may sleep all day and then be up wandering aimlessly around the house at night. Uh, sometimes they'll lose house training. And then occasionally a dog with dementia will have some anxiety and be a little bit agitated. Mm. It can start as early as about seven years of age, although with most dogs it uh, starts much later. Stephen, are there other degenerative diseases that cause cognitive decline in younger dogs? Well, just about anything that affects the brain can create symptoms that mimic cognitive dysfunction. So things like a brain tumor, an infection in the brain, um, immune disease in the brain, those can cause disorientation, um, behavioral changes that can look like cognitive dysfunction. But definitely, if a dog younger than seven were to show symptoms like that, uh, we would really want to do some tests to rule out other things. And how about aggression? Can that develop? It's unlikely that cognitive dysfunction syndrome is going to turn a placid dog into an aggressive dog. However, they can be more easily startled. And oftentimes, dogs with cognitive dysfunction also are losing their hearing, maybe their vision isn't the best, and so um, they can be startled, and they may be a little more prone to snap. So I think that some caution has to be exercised around a dog like that, but it's unlikely that they're going to start aggressively, uh, you know, going after people. How do you diagnose the condition? It's mainly diagnosed off of the history, you know, having symptoms consistent with cognitive dysfunction. Um, But a really important part of diagnosing it is to rule out other things that can cause similar problems or similar symptoms. So a good examination by a veterinarian is really important and maybe also some lab work because other diseases like liver dysfunction can make a dog disoriented. Sometimes dogs with eye problems can have visual deficits where they look disoriented. And then also dogs with um, painful conditions like degenerative joint disease, they may be more reclusive and less interactive with people. So if an underlying disease like that can be identified and treated, um, you know, maybe the dog can be restored back to a normal level of function and uh, be a happy pet again. If medical conditions are ruled out, then it really takes an MRI to diagnose canine cognitive dysfunction because, like I mentioned, things like a brain tumor can really mimic the symptoms of cognitive dysfunction. So um, that might be treated with a variety of uh, means. Um, And there are things that we can see on an MRI that would be very indicative of the brain degeneration that we see with cognitive dysfunction syndrome. Are there breeds of dogs more susceptible to getting doggy dementia? There's really no breed predisposition. It can happen in small dogs and large dogs. Um, both sexes are affected, so there's, uh, there's no way to select for a dog to avoid uh, cognitive dysfunction. And no research showing mixed breeds might be less likely to get it? No, because it's not fully understood how the disease develops. You know, there are certain 
um, parts of the pathophysiology that have been worked out, like there's free radical um, production and there's uh, deposition of a neurotoxic protein called beta amyloid. But we don't really understand why dogs, why some dogs develop beta amyloid more quickly than others. There may be some sort of genetic predisposition, but at this point, we don't really know. And Stephen, describe how this disease progresses. Uh, the end stages of dementia in people are pretty horrible. Yeah, unfortunately, it can be pretty sad as the dog really loses interaction with the family. Um, they may spend more time sleeping, and eventually they may stop eating and drinking. So and that can produce all sorts of other serious symptoms. Discuss treatment of dementia in dogs. Yeah. There are basically three things that can be done to address dementia and slow its progression. Unfortunately, there's nothing to be done to cure it, but it, it can be slowed. And one of the ways that can be done is just with environmental enrichment. So, you know, new toys, regular exercise, a lot of interaction, um, that sort of thing can improve the mental function. So a dog that really has no stimulation is more likely to have more rapidly progressive dementia. Then there's some nutritional things that can be done. Uh, certain supplements like antioxidants, omega-3 fatty acids, um, ginkgo biloba has been looked at. Those things might slow the progression. And in fact, there are a couple of uh, food companies that have made special diets, like there's Hills BD, um, which has these sort of antioxidants in it that may slow the progression of dementia. And these things, and then the third, yeah, go oh, ahead, please. Uh, the third way is with medication. Unfortunately, there really is no medication that is consistently effective. Um, there's a medication called Anapril, also known as Selegiline or Eldepronil, and that's been um, approved for use in dogs to treat cognitive dysfunction. In testing of that drug, about 69% of dogs treated with it showed some improvement in their mental function. Interestingly, the placebo group in that study had about a 52% improvement just with the placebo. So it's hard to know for sure how much that drug works. The other thing that we know uh, Anapril does is it causes more stimulation, both Anapril and its metabolites, which are amphetamine and methamphetamine, can just cause more arousal. So sometimes those dogs may be alert, they may be more active, doesn't necessarily mean they're uh, you know, having better mental function. Dr. Hansen, is there any evidence that dementia in dogs can be prevented or delayed in any way by enriching the lives or diets of dogs, like the things that you mentioned that could slow the progression of the disease? Is there anything we can do to prevent the disease? Yeah, I think intuitively, based on what we know about the pathology, things like enrichment, good healthy diets, you know, all-around vitamin supplements, those things make a lot of sense. I don't think there have been any long-term studies to look at dogs, um, you know, who had substandard diets compared to dogs with good diets and how that changed the outcome and increased uh, prevalence of dementia. But I think that it makes sense that 
having a lot of interaction, um, an active lifestyle, a lot of um, engagement with people and other animals is healthy for a dog's mental function its whole life. Dr. Stephen Hansen, thank you for appearing on Animals Today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now, in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit aianimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. In January of 1776, American patriot Thomas Paine published a pamphlet called Common Sense. It helped spark the American Revolution. This January, as we think about our goals for the coming year, let's revisit this historic document and hear what Paine told his fellow colonists. In his opening paragraph, Paine wrote, and I quote, A long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right, and raises, at first a formidable outcry in defense of custom. In today's language, he was saying that it's easy to lose sight of how wrong something is when it becomes an everyday part of one's life. Let's be fair, that's exactly why we've used these segments each week to highlight the negative impact that excessive litigation has on daily life in America. Now, as we start a new year, we're also going to share stories about how excessive government regulation holds America back. It's time to challenge the status quo. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. My pillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-950-0658. That's 800-950-0658 and use promo code STEW. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. 
So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Animals Today. So as Peter mentioned before the break, we decided to get DNA analysis on two of our three dogs. You also can now appreciate how quickly this field of genetic testing is evolving and getting better. We think this is very fortunate because of the limitations in our ability to identify dog breeds visually. In fact, when researchers compared the identification of dogs by what they look like, what we call visual identification, to the identification of the same dogs determined by DNA analysis, 75% of the time, it didn't match. In other words, 75% of the time, people incorrectly identify dogs. So now let's talk about our two dogs that we tested, Cosmo and Skye. Cosmo is approximately five and a half, six years old. And when we first adopted Cosmo, he was labeled or identified as a pit bull mix, right? So people, shelter workers, our veterinarians, and even Peter and I thought he was predominantly pit bull and mixed with something else, but in a smaller percentage. And we all thought Cosmo was predominantly pit bull because he has the characteristics that most people identify as pit bull like this square head and this solid boxy body, right? So, Peter, what did we learn about Cosmo? Well, Lori, I have to say we got a lot of information back from the testing. And first is the breed analysis, and the second is the analysis for health and possible genetic defects that, that could lead to disease. So, regarding his breed, it was determined that Cosmo is 49.5% Staffordshire Terrier, pit bull, 18.2% uh, Labrador Retriever, 17% German Shepherd, 11.3% Chow Chow, and 4.0% Rottweiler. And who would have guessed that by looking at him? But on the whole, we thought he was uh, mostly pit bull, and that's true. And we thought perhaps he had some Labrador in him. I know we talked about that at some time. He doesn't like to swim. But there's the analysis that was given. Now, the results go even further because they make a family tree and tell you what they believe the breed of ancestors was to yield the result in your dog. So in Cosmo, it was thought that the parents were mixed breeds, that of the grandparents, three were mixed and one was a pit bull. And of the eight great grandparents, four were pit bulls. One was a German shepherd, one was a chow chow, one was a Labrador retriever, and one was a lab mix. And I think that is just incredible to think about. They also provided information about where Cosmo's ancestors might have come from by looking at the Y chromosome and at mitochondrial DNA. The analysis also predicts Cosmo's full weight as 49 pounds, which is a little off because he's about 65 pounds and he's not fat at all. And another part of the analysis I thought was real interesting is that they look at genes that are predominant in wolves and see how much wolf gene your dog has, and they make a wolfiness score. What was Cosmo's wolfiness Co score? Cosmo was 1.4% wolfiness, which is medium in their scale. It doesn't appear at all as a wolf, by the way. So that was Cosmo's breed analysis. Very interesting. So regarding the disease analysis, they look at many specific genetic loci and look at common genetic diseases and a lot of uncommon genetic diseases to see whether the dogs are susceptible to get the disease or are carriers of other diseases. And it turns out Cosmo is clean on all their tests. 
That's so interesting, Peter. Okay, let's move on to Sky. Okay. Okay, so we thought Sky definitely has Pitbull in her. You know, she has the square face or head and huge from ear to ear, beautiful smile that these Pitbulls have. But her body type is not Pitbullish at all. I mean, she has a lean, muscular body with long, slender legs, not stocky like Pitbulls tend to be. And her coat and eyes are very unusual. Her coat is a mocha-colored, very short-haired, and really no hair on her undersurface. And her eyes are yellow. Yellow. In fact, many people have told us that they think Skye looks like a Weimaraner. And with the exception of her face and head shape. She has many features and characteristics of a Weimaraner. So Peter, what did they find? Okay. Also very interesting. There is almost 100% pit bull in sky. Wow. No no Weimaraner at all. Wow. The analysis shows 3.9% what they call super mutt. And in this case, the super mutt is thought to be a kind of mastiff, but it's really going back many, many, many generations. Her hypothetical family tree is all pit bulls, basically. Also, her predicted weight as an adult is 68 pounds. She needs to fill out a lot if she's going to get there. Maybe she will. She has 0% on the wolfiness index. She's zero wolfy for sure. Yes. But one of the genetic tests shows she is at risk to get a retinal disease called PRA, progressive retinal atrophy. So we'll have to watch her for that. She also is a carrier of a different disease, which she will not get because she's only a carrier, a lysosomal storage disease. And fortunately, she won't pass that off to anyone because she was fixed before she reproduced. But you could see why that would be good to know. As I said before, Lori, I think this is fascinating. Did you enjoy going through this process? I sure did. And does that surprise you? I mean, before doing this, I wouldn't have thought I, I would care. I was just doing it. You know, Peter, it doesn't change the way I look at them. It doesn't change the way I feel about them. I love them no matter what they are and what their makeup is. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting. The results, very interesting, actually. And it confirms what we know, which is that visually identifying dogs, just based upon a few of their features or their characteristics, can be inaccurate. Yeah, well, Lori, I'll tell you, you know, I'm very connected with these dogs, very bonded to both of them. And, uh, As strong as that relationship is, I think having this information made it even a little stronger. I can't explain why. It just is an emotional thing, but it's been quite strange. Just knowing this has made me love them just a little bit more, if that's possible. That's sweet. (laughs) So, Peter, would you recommend people doing this with their dogs? Yeah, I really would. I would take a look at this. Okay, well, it's been a fun and interesting experience for us. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Your Animals Today tip of the day has to do with kittens. If you find a litter of newborn or very young kittens, do not assume the mother has abandoned them. If they are not clearly in distress, their mother is probably hunting for food or in the process of moving them. She may even be hiding nearby until you've gone. You should leave the kittens alone for a couple hours and stay far enough away so the mother feels safe to return. If she doesn't return and you're absolutely convinced they are abandoned, contact your local cat rescue group and ask for advice about your particular situation. And that is your Animals Today tip of the day. 